Welcome to the Sunday session on NRL.com for round nine. My name is Chris Kennedy. My regular co-pilot, Kenny Scott, will be dialing in just a little bit later. But for now, it's my very great pleasure to welcome from the West Tigers forward, Alex Twile. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Hi, mate. Thanks for having me on here. Um, obviously, um, you know, big Mother's Day weekend. Have you got your uh, family duties out of the way or what, what's the weekend look, look like for you? Yeah, obviously can't do too much with the COVID restrictions at the moment. But, um, you know, I woke up this morning, wish my mum happy Mother's Day and, yeah, probably just, you know, have a nice um, dinner later on today. So, yeah. Sounds uh, sounds good. Let's talk some footy. Um, you guys, obviously, a really impressive physical win over the Dragons um, just over a, a week ago. Really, um, you know, tough, gritty stuff. Uh, Madge, was, Madge was impressed that the fans were happy. A little bit of a, a step backwards um, this weekend. What do you sort of think changed over the week or why weren't you able to sort of get off to a good start against the uh, the Titans? Yeah, mate, it was obviously, you know, good win against the Dragons and it was disappointing last night, you know, not um, backing that up. But, you know, it's a bit hard to put a finger on it at the moment. Um, obviously, you know, we showed some good defensive grid against the Dragons, you know, only leaking eight points in that game. But obviously, yeah, as you said, got off to a poor start yesterday, you know, 18 points down. And, um, yeah, we're just chasing points for the rest of the game, which is pretty disappointing. But, yeah, I don't think I can really put my finger on what it is. Um, it's just we've just got to look look forward now and, you know, just go through our review and, and make sure, we, you know, we don't make the same mistakes next week. Can you take any positives out of that one? Obviously, a good late fight back obviously fell just short. But, um, you know, the fact that you guys didn't go away from the game, never gave up, were able to sort of really give the, the Titans a scare towards the end. Can you take some positives out of that moving forward? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought the effort was there um, in patches. But, you know, it's about putting that fight out there for 80 minutes. You know, it is in our row and, you know, as you know, you, you know, every week's a challenge. And if you don't put in any performance, you know, most times you're not, you're not going to walk away with the right result. But, yeah, you know, there was obviously effort there in space. You've just got to put it out there for 80 minutes. What's the, um, what's the message from, from Madge been like? Apparently you gave the boys a little bit of a spray at halftime. How was he? Yeah, you know, he's obviously disappointed. Um, you know, we, we really wanted to go back-to-back following on from that Dragons game and building a bit of momentum, you know, towards going forward now with our season. But um, obviously, you know, it was disappointing. You know, Madge was disappointed, but, you know, all the boys were just as disappointed. So, you know, look, it's, it's about, you know, for us now, just moving on to next week and making sure that we put in a solid performance. Your own um, your own season this year, consistent uh, as you always are. The, the last couple of weeks, starting with the number 10 on your back rather than the number 13, does that change anything for you? Yeah, no, I don't think it changes too much for me, but I, I think, you know, it's somewhere where I'm, I'm more comfortable, you know, growing up, playing there, you know, came into NRL as sort of a front rower, sort of playing that sort of game, just thinking quick play the ball and being solid in my defence. Um, you know, so, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just doing what's best for the team. You know, if that's me in the number 10 jersey or the 13 jersey, I'm I'm happy to play, you know, wherever in the, whether it's 13 or 10, I'm, I'm you know, as long as I'm just contributing and doing my best for the te- my teammates, that's, that's all sort of I'll judge myself on. I was, um, you know, I've been reporting on the NRL for a while. Back when the the NYC was still the the, the lead into the main game, I used to I used to cover a lot of Parramatta games because I'm from out that way, and I'd get out there and um, watch a bit of the twenties if I could. And it just seemed like every single week this um, this big fella from the Eels twenties was playing sixty minutes every week and churning through massive meters and and you know massive runs, massive tackle counts. Is that sort of, you know, that's been your your bread and butter for a long time is this move to to front row potentially simplify your role back into sort of what you've grown up doing 
Yeah, exactly. I think it does simplify my role, you know, just making sure I'm running hard, getting the quick play the boys for the boys and, you know, just making sure my defence is solid, you know, not missing tackles, making sure that, you know, my, my players on each side of me trust me and they know that I'm going to do my job and be there for them. I think, you know, obviously now with the modern game as well, you know, the 13 sort of plays as an extra half, you know. So mm. I think, you know, it's sort of, you know, you can we can look at a, a variation there, you know, sort of, you know, I've, I know Moses and has played a bit there for us and it's worked well. So it's just about mixing it up, you know, we're not getting, you know, too carried away with it. You know, I think, you know, I'll obviously, you know, t- is 10 is where I do see my long-term, you know, position. But, you know, as I said before, whatever's best for the team. Yeah, of course. I mean, we've seen this year some some really effective, you know, Victor Radley at 13 for the Roosters, Connor Watson doing some good stuff there for the, the Knights. You know, some of those more, yeah. you know, more ball-playing styles. Is that, you know, potentially you think the, the way the game's going, you do need that extra ball player and, and your future might be best served just carting it up and, and doing those, you know, real one percenters that you're so good at in the in the front row? Yeah, look, and I'm not going to, you know, pigeonhole myself and just thinking that I've just got to, you know, run hard. You know, obviously, you know, passing game is something I'm, I'm, I'm working on developing. And, you know, I think it just depends also on the way your team plays. You know, I know that, you know, uh, you know, for Roosters, for example, they do play with that Victor sort of as an extra, you know, ball player. You know, you've got other teams, you know, that sort of play it as an extra front rower too. So I think it just depends on, you know, what your game plan is and how your team wants to get around the park, essentially. So, yeah, just think it varies from every team. Yeah, for sure. Just on the the pack this year, you've had obviously Jimmy Tamo come in, who's been a, a wonderful leader throughout his long NRL career. Joffa Hingawi come down from the Broncos, you know, an origin player. Is that kind of, you know, I know that the team's a little bit of an evolving work in progress, but having some really experienced leaders come into that pack, guys that have played rep footy, guys that have, you know, captain clubs, has that kind of brought a little bit to the, the middle rotation? Yeah, I think definitely, you know, it does... You know, having them blokes there it does it does rub off on some of them younger fellows that you know in the team, especially you know us going through a bit of a hard period at the moment. You know, their their experiences and their leadership skills, you know, obviously, you know, a really important part in you know going forward for the for the younger boys coming through. And you know, they they've been awesome. You know, I think um, you know they've 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 showed leadership you know throughout the preseason and you know the start of the season. So yeah, I can't wrap them boys enough. Just, uh, I wanted to ask you about Adam Dewey as well. He's obviously come to the club having played, you know, halfback. He's played fullback. He's sort of played a, a few different roles. Seems to have really found a, a spot at five eight there for you guys. I thought he was terrific um, last night against the Titans. Really sort of heavily involved in that that comeback. What's it been like, you know, just having him sort of join the club? Yeah, I think he's been massive. You know, we we talk about, you know, leadership. He's a part of our leadership group, our five man leadership group, and you know, he's he's someone that probably doesn't say too much, but you know, when he does talk, you know, all the boys listen. And I think you know, he's he's played a really important role for it. You know, and, you know, I, I sort of spoke to him yesterday and just told him how how good he was yesterday, and and uh, don't be too down himself. We just got to pick the boys up now and you know move forward. So you know, he's been awesome for us, and you know, I can't wrap him enough. He's he's an awesome player to play with, and. Mm. Yeah, it's it's awesome that you know he's at the Tigers, and yeah, I'm I'm sure that you know he he him and the boys will be doing everything they can to you know put in a good performance this week. You've obviously known him for a while. You guys played together for Lebanon at the, the 2017 World Cup. Did you have much to do with him before that, or you sort of stayed in contact since then? Or yeah, ever since 2000, since the World Cup, you know, we obviously got very close in that World Cup. He was my roomie for you know, eight weeks or whatever it was. You know, we, were, we were together every single day, going to breakfast, lunch. And yeah, we stayed in touch, you know. I'm pretty much, we're pretty much best mates now, you know. We, we see each other every day. We go for lunch, we go for breakfast. 
we're always together, you know. I'm pretty close with his family as well. So, yeah, no, it's awesome we've got that relationship. And I, and I think it rubs off us on us on the field, you know. I know he can trust me and I, I trust him 100% on the field. So, you know, it's awesome, you know, have them bonds, you know, with Dewey. And, yeah, it's really important. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Just looking ahead um, to, to next uh, round, obviously, uh, Magic Round up at Suncorp Stadium. You guys, uh, it's a home game for you guys for, for whatever that counts for, up against uh, Newcastle, who've you know, been a little bit up and down this year, but um, you know, obviously had a, a really good comeback this weekend. Have you had a chance to think about next weekend at all? Nah, to be honest, we've we got our review tomorrow for the game that just passed, so we'll probably have to hone in on that and, you know, we'll, look at areas we need to improve on and then we'll look at Newcastle. But, you know, they've obviously got a lot of quality players in their team and they'll be out for a good match. Um, just in terms, you said, obviously, the, the review hasn't happened yet. Is there much, you know, Madge said coming out of the game or you just, you, you wipe that Titans game and, and look at look ahead? Yeah, look, uh, you know, he was obviously disappointed with our start, you know. A few things that we reviewed and the Titans nabbed us on yesterday, so... Um, obviously, you know, he didn't have to say too much. I think the boys sort of, you know, knew that we didn't play to the standard that we did the week prior. So we've just got to, you know, look forward now and, yeah, just put in a better performance next week as a team. Well, mate, I'm, uh, I'm aware of, I've kept you for 10 minutes already on uh, on Mother's Day. So massively appreciate no, your time absolutely. joining me at uh, the Sunday session for uh, for round nine, Alex 12 from the West Tigers. Thanks so much. Thanks, Steve. Chris. Appreciate it, brother. Have a good one. Moving on to talk about the rest of the round, I will dial in my regular co-pilot, Kenny Scott, who, through the magic of technology, is joining us what seems like instantly, although technically uh, I spoke to Alex Twal, uh, what is actually a few hours ago in real life, and uh, you are now available to talk through the rest of the round. Kenny, thank you for being here. Thanks again. I'm kind of offended that you didn't tell me we were going to have a Tigers player on the podcast and deliberately excluded me from it, but it was probably a wise editorial choice. <laughs> it was for everyone's safety. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll probably fit in still a little bit of uh, Tigers v Titans chat later on, but uh, as per usual, we'll wind backwards through the round. It's just finished with a game that uh, I probably couldn't call the match of the round, the Dragons 32-12 to 12 winners over the Bulldogs. The um, Dragons did what they needed to do. The, uh, the Bulldogs just um yeah never really got going yeah it was a, it was a weird game wasn't it and that like you said it, it, it definitely not one for the highlight reel i think no like did you ever really give the drag um, the bulldogs a chance of winning probably not i think the dragons uh would have like hoped for a, a really big dominant win coming off their loss to the tigers the week before but i don't really think they delivered that either i like the the bulldogs I would say if the Bulldogs kind of knew what they were doing, they probably could have won that game. Like they were in it. I think the first half, they were, I would say they were the dominant team. They just didn't, yeah, they didn't really know where the play was like being like supposed to be directed. I think the forwards did well, but the halves, not so much. And, you know, there was no tries for them until late in the game because of that. Had they managed to convert that dominance, it would have been a really different game and probably a really exciting game, but it didn't happen that way. Um, and, yeah, I think the Dragons, yeah, okay, they won, um, but it wasn't really until the last four, 15 minutes where they did, where tries just sort of started falling out of the sky that um, the score sort of made it look like they were um, uh, destined for a win. So, yeah, a funny one. Um, yeah, probably not one that we'll, we'll um, talk about much longer, but, uh, yeah, a good win for the Dragons, I suppose. 
Yeah, the first half was poor. It was poor rugby league. There were a lot of errors. It was clunky from both sides. The um, I guess we probably should talk about the Bulldogs halves situation. We're not into, you know, bagging players or laying in the boot. But um, poor old Cole Flanagan substituted at half time for for Lockie Lewis would would not be a first forty minutes that he'll uh, look back on particularly fondly. He did get back on the field as the injury started to pile up. Um, Corey Allen went off with what we hope is not a, a serious injury, although play was held up for a long time. He was sort of driven into touch with a few. Players players on top of him hopefully it's a I don't know like a collarbone or a shoulder rather than anything you know to do with his, his head or his spine but uh, yeah fingers crossed nothing too bad there and then obviously Lockie Lewis himself uh, picked up what, like a, a cork or something and had to go off as well but um, yeah just the, the end result I guess was a, a really really clunky performance from the, the Bulldogs just no real sort of attacking threat or or sort of offering anything creatively uh, to, to threaten the Dragons. It's a real shame, isn't it? Because there's definitely like there's definitely effort, but in the end, it's just wasted effort because it's got no like. What's the purpose? Like, what's the point of of, of trying that that hard and being that committed to it? If you like, genuinely, it genuinely looked like they didn't know what they were what they were meant to do. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll try and win the game and score tries, of course, but they like they didn't know how they were supposed to get from like you know step one play. Step two, question mark. Step three, win. Like they don't know what that, <laughs> that step in between starting and winning the game is. It's really, really quite disheartening, actually, because yeah, like I said, it's efforts there, but not the, um, not the plan. Odd. Yeah, Dragons haven't been great themselves the past few weeks. So obviously, the you know you sort of only play as well as you know what what the opposition is. But they um, they certainly did what they needed to do. I thought Jack Bird was really really good. Um, he's sort mm. of been improving steadily for for most of the year. Ben Hunt uh, a lot better uh, for his having a, a game under his belt, um, looking pretty good at the moment. A few of the the forwards were, were quite good. Tyrell Formona had some big plays substituting out of the centres. The the Fiennes twins um, apparently um, not the first time in history that a pair of identical twins have made their debuts in the same game for the Dragons after the, um, you know, the, the vaunted Morris twins back in, mm. I think, 2007. So if these uh, if these two can have anything like the careers that the Morris twins had, they're, uh, they're in for a very successful, uh, long and successful time in the top grade. So, uh, yeah, plenty of positives, I guess, for the Dragons. Did they both score a try on debut or was just one of them? I think it was just one. And then the other debutant, oh, right. uh, Junior Amone, uh, scored late on. Um. But yeah, they look good. I thought um, mm. probably, uh, I think Max is probably the one that's been closer to the, the debut, but then Matthew had the almost the, the better of the um, the debuts between the two of them. But uh, yeah, good signs. Mm. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, good signs, but um, not a game that we'll uh, celebrate um, <laughs> as the years go on. <laughs> Seagulls and the Warriors were a lot more action in this one uh, at Lotto Land earlier in the day. 38 to 32, it finished up. It was really, really tight for quite a long time. And then uh, Manly just went bang, bang, bang. And then Warriors almost clawed their way back into it. Um, probably the, the headline, if anything, is just the irrepressible form of superstar Tom Turbo Trevojevic. Two tries, four try assists, had a hand in absolutely everything. Just another stunning performance from the, uh, the informed number one. Yeah, he was absolutely... Unbelievable the, the the effect he had on this game. I was I was like, okay, obviously we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Trevojevic, so I've got to start writing down his stats. So I wrote down, yeah, two tries, four try assists, and I didn't write anything else down because they they I just assumed they would keep clocking up and whatever I wrote down would be updated within you know a couple of minutes because he was having such a massive game. But um, yeah, unbelievable. He was just really you know in everything and around everything, and um, yeah, what a player! Like lock him up for life, right? He is just 
when he's healthy, like I hate to have him say that when he's healthy, he's really good, but um, that's just the nature of, of where his body's at. I, I, every time I see him run though, I, I get nervous about those hamstrings and like me, the casual, like a casual fan watching a manly game, I'd hate to think how I, like I, you know, rusted on see Eagles fan feels about watching um, Trevojevic like when he fully you know, hits, hits some um, top speed sprinting because you know, he's doing something good, but uh, unfortunately those hamstrings can't be trusted. Yeah, I mean, he has been interviewed about this and he said it, it's not really in his head. He's not really uh, thinking about it when he's running. And I, I'm just trying to think back to the times that he's done it. And I don't really recall him doing his hammy while in top flight. It seems to more be like taking off or sort of innocuous motions rather than actually sprinting away, which is sort of when he's, he's bread and butter since he used to make you know, three, 400 metres a game back in the uh, the under 20s. So, I mean, he certainly hasn't looked troubled by it at all in his four games back. So fingers crossed it, it stays that way mm. for the rest of the year. Um, what about the Warriors? Chanel Harris-Tavita finally back from injury. It meant a reshuffle with um, breakout teen sensation, Reese Walsh going back to the bench. I didn't mind the changes on paper. I think, you know, if you're pinning all your hopes on a mid-season you know, 18 year old mid season recruit from another club, then you, you probably got bigger problems. But um, I think how they use Reese Walsh going forward is going to be a bit of the question. I, I didn't mind the plan to, to keep him on the bench, then save him for late in the game, move Nikarima to hooker and bring him on in the halves. He, uh, he racked up a try and a try assist in, in short order. But I mean, I guess there's also probably an argument to keep him out there for a bit longer, but then it's where do you fit him? Well, I don't think moving Roger from the back is the answer. He's been great this year. And then, you know, Chanel and Cody both did some really nice stuff today as well. I, I guess it all depends on what, like what the long-term plan for him is. Like I know he, well, he was named at, he's named at six. He debuted at fullback. Like, where do you think, where do you think they're going to play him long-term? Like what, what's their future plans for him? I suppose they're going to need a fullback next year because Roger's moving on. Um, you know, if that's if that's the plan, then I guess you sort of, you know, you don't want to have Roger Tuivasa-Shek. You don't want to limit RTS's time on the field because he's such a gun player. But at the same time, you sort of need to start transitioning him in there somewhere. And uh, in the halves is probably not. Uh, like he, he's a great player and he'll be fine. But it's probably just not the the not the, the transition that's needed for you know life at the back. So um, you know, coaching conundrum. I guess that's Nathan Brown's problem, isn't it? Yeah, well, absolutely. And uh, I guess the, the fallout from this one, or not fallout, but the, the end result is the, the Warriors just clinging on to eighth with Manly, who had a shocking opening month now um, level with them on ladder points and only a few points of differential behind in, uh, in ninth place. So suddenly getting a little bit interesting for spots in the, the bottom part of the eight between, um, you know, a few of the teams who started okay and a few of the teams who started terrible starting to converge a little bit. Another one of those teams who started really poorly, but is in that same sort of category is the Cowboys. 1918 winners over the Broncos, the um, you know the the rivalry, the derby, the Queensland derby up there in Townsville on Saturday night. Um, very very few games I can recall between these two teams over the past eight or ten years that haven't been absolute um, cliffhangers. Uh, once again, I think it was the sixth time in the last ten or so years that they've been separated by one point at the end of uh, 80 minutes. Just a, a stunning record between these clubs, and it was a um, a Val Holmes field goal that ended up separating them. Where did, where did this, this, this game come from? I had zero expectations of this game because both, both teams are struggling a little bit. I think the Broncos are probably doing it uh, a bit tougher than the Cowboys. I, I did not expect this, like, you know, a one-point thriller. And it was also of really high quality as well. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a mistake of thought. It, it was just, like, you know, had incredible tries, like Carl Fett's robot arm, like, <laughs> try. What the hell was that? Had, like, tries, like, 
incredible tries that were called back for forward passes, you know, wild passes, great tackles, long range trials, long range, long range tries, you know, drop balls at crucial moments. It was, it was great. I loved it. How much fun. That Cole Felt try, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like it. I've heard it called the go-go gadget arm try, the periscope <laughs> try, the, yeah. the octopus try. How many arms has he got? Where's he getting them all from? I, I still, mm. I've watched it about 20 times and I still can't work out how he put it down over the line. But um, yeah. he's one of those players that can come up with some pretty freaky stuff from time to time. It, I, I, when I first watched it, I thought he had dislocated his arm, like his shoulder, to get yeah. it down. Obviously, he hadn't. Like he, it, I think the position of his body... Because you couldn't see the position of his body, it looked like his his arm had done this almost On impossible way, arc. Yeah. But I think when you look at it the right way, I don't think it looked that difficult. Still a, a, a tough thing to get down, but it didn't look like the movement itself was that difficult. But I'm going to go with the go go gadget arm. I think that's a, that's an inspector gadget play right there. It was pretty special. What about the um, the the Broncos? They, I mean, probably were entitled to to win this one. They were a, a rabble earlier in the year. They've looked a little bit better. Um, obviously, beat the Titans at that stunning comeback um, a week prior. Almost beat the the Cowboys. You know, Payne guys sort of finding some form out on the edge. Payne Haas has been great for them since he's come back in. And then the the past fortnight, that Milford and, and Tyson Gamble combo seems to be about the best they've done with their, their halves pairing this year after, you know, obviously a lot of changes um, leading into it, but it could be the, the one to stick with for a while. Yeah. I think that that's pretty obvious. They've had a really poor showing in their halves this year. And, you know, a lot of combinations been tried, et cetera, et cetera. But I think last week showed the, I think, you know, Kevy's looking for a bit of mongrel and a bit of starch and all that sort of stuff. And, and Tyson Gamble definitely brings that He And I think from what we saw, but it's only been two weeks, but it seems like, Anthony Milford's also um, uh, inspired, or he's just playing a lot better than he than he was previously. Like he was, he was you know, he was a lame duck, I'd say, in the opening, opening couple of rounds of this year, which is a shame because he can be such a great player. But the last two weeks, we've seen so much more for him, and and in this game as well, I thought he um, he was pretty dynamic, like almost back to the the, the Milford that um, you know famously brought him up to Brisbane under Wayne Bennett. Um, so yeah, I think they've been it's been a, a it's not a complete turnaround, but they're definitely back on the right track, that's for sure. The um, previous Saturday game, we have already spoken a little bit about this with Alex Twile, but, um, you know, the, the long-suffering Tigers fan, Kenny Kendi, get your thoughts on this one. Um, Titans, 36 points to 28 winners in the end. Tigers, a pretty good comeback. Um, you know, just too little too late, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it was a real shame. I think it's not... Um, like the Titans are, are a good team, and that's. I was actually really worried about about just complete dominance from David Fafita. I had nightmares about him just running straight through the team, which didn't happen. They, I think they contained him quite well. But it was just those moments, like that period where the Titans scored those three tries in, in back-to-back sets. Like that, you, you can't have those switch-off moments. And it happened the other week against Manly as well, and that was what that was the difference. So what was the final score? But yeah, there was a twelve. It's a twelve-point difference. They let in eighteen points in that that silly period there. Like you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and all those sort of things. It, it could have been a different game had they not had that just really weird period where they just let the Titans run right, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah, it's the shining lights like Dane Laurie, of course, did really well. I thought um, uh, our mate Luke Garner was pretty good as well, but it's just it was just one of those games, hey? 
Yeah, it was a bit. And uh, I mean, from a Titans point of view, they're still conceding a lot of points. It's been a, a mm. terrible month of, of defence, but at least, I mean, from their point of view in this game, they were able to, to score more than they um, let in. Fafita, I thought, was pretty good. He had a, a try assist. He you know, had some bust. He obviously got Sinbin late in the game for a bit of a, a lazy shot, but um, it's now facing probably a, a week on the sidelines uh, for that one. I yeah, probably not much more we need to say about the Titans other than they just really need to get their defence in order. But, um, yeah, obviously can score plenty of points on their day. Mm. Um, before we move on, this, there's something I've, I've been wanting to ask you for a couple of weeks. Uh, in regards to the Tigers, where do you stand on, on Luke Brooks? I don't want to – and I, I don't mean that in any kind of disrespectful way because I, I, I know there's a lot of people that like to, to, to pan him and stuff. But I, I genuinely um, – I don't know what the best thing for either – for him – and the Tigers are at this point. I think it's probably like, I think there's so much potential in Luke Brooks. He, he has shown that he is at times a great player. Um, but I think, I think personally, it's probably time both him and the team separate. So like separate, I, I think maybe it's, it's just probably gone a bit on a bit too long, but I'm pretty keen for an educated opinion on that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a pretty in-depth question if you really want to get into it. I think he's probably one of those players who, when he's going well, gets praise above and beyond what he deserves. And when he's not going well, he, he gets criticism well beyond what he deserves as well, which is probably, you know, the lot of a, a number seven in general. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's obviously been there a long time. We've seen, you know, obviously Tedesco leave the club and go to stratospheric heights. Mitch Moses leave the club and become a, a much better player than he ever was at the, the West Tigers. I don't know if there's any kind of... Um, you know, structural issues there that are stopping him from, from reaching his best or sometimes players just need a, a change of scenery. Um, I do, I really like Adam Dewey as a, a halves partner for him. Yeah. I think it's probably a, a fairly good balance. I mean, hopefully as the, the year goes on, they can continue to work on their combination. It's, I mean, it's not a bad spine really. Like Dane Laurie, as you touched on, a, a wonderful talent. I think um, Adam Dewey been probably one of their, their best players this year. Luke Brooks, as you rightly said, has boundless talent. It's just how do you sort of channel that into consistent um, week-to-week performances? I thought he was fantastic um, a week earlier. Um, mm. Yeah, I, maybe maybe the change will help or maybe he just needs the, the right players around him. I think, you know, with those other guys in the spine and, you know, obviously Simkin and Little are both, you know, Little's probably a little bit older but hasn't played a lot due to injury. Once one of those two guys really grabs that number nine by the scruff of the neck, you know, it's makings of a, a decent forward pack. Hopefully they can just give him the right support to, to get the best out of him. Yeah, I suppose so. I I, um, I watched the press conference and I noticed that Madge said he, he hinted at, you know, a successful reserve grade team and potential changes. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm keen to see what he might do with that next week as well. Yeah, well, I mean, he's never been afraid to make changes. Uh, Michael Maguire has never been afraid of reputations. We've seen him drop some, you know, some bigger names than Luke Brooks and Luke Brooks himself in the past. So whether Jock Madden or Billy Walters or someone gets a, a chance alongside Adam Dewey, I guess we'll wait and see. Um, anyway, moving on to the Wagga game, the early Saturday game, the Raiders and the Knights. Um Raiders the last five weeks, their, their second halves have just been absolutely costing them. I think a, a sum total of 93 points to eight in second halves this year uh, against them, five straight losses, um, just, yeah, in a, in a huge hole at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame. I don't know how, how as a team you sort of overcome that because you'd think, like, even it's at a point now where their second halves have become so bad and it's such a monkey on their back that any kind of lead at half time would just make them nervous, I think. And that, that just, it just it compounds, right? So going in at 16 nil 
And any any other team would think, great, 16-0, like, let's go on with this. We're having a great, great game. I think at that point, the Raiders would have been, oh, man, I hope we don't lose it from here. Like, that's just... That's, that's the sort of mentality, I guess, would creep in and that it just becomes worse and worse. They've really got the yips when it comes to their second halves. Um, and I, I, I honestly don't know, don't know what they do about it. I think it was really interesting watching the, um, the press conference with Ricky Stewart this time because a couple of weeks ago, he really laid into his players saying, you know, some guys want to just turn up and think it's just going to happen for them and, you know, they need to have a good hard look at themselves. And I, I think it's, he's, he's turned completely now and he's becoming quite protective of his playing group. Like he was saying... Um, uh, you know, I've got blokes hurting in the dressing room there. I've got guys putting in so much effort and it's just not ha- happening for them. We're just in a bad space, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think he's sort of decided that the only way to get the team out of this is to pull them all, pull everyone out of it together. Um, but man, it's, it's, it's tough watching at the moment. I think it's just a case of trying everything. He's not getting results. So one week he tries giving them an absolute spray and the next week he tries, you know, being protective. And, you know, one week he tries, you know, blaming the refs and taking the Like last week it was blaming the refs, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The obstructions <laughs> cost true. us the refs they're not they're doing, even though they were obvious obstructions. You know, the couple of weeks before that, it was blokes just want to turn up and think they're NRL players and they don't belong out there. And then, you know, this week it's blokes are trying their best and I can't blame them. It's He's sort of trying a little bit of everything. Um, <laughs> At the moment, chuck it at the wall and see what's still <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with. Obviously, he's, he's copped a bit from the the players' partners on social about his bench rotations and his um, coaching. <laughs> but I, I had, I was watching this game and um, Ryan Sutton went off 20 minutes in with an elbow injury, and then uh, Joey Tarpany, who's obviously embroiled in that controversy, went off after 50 minutes with a. Um, a knee injury and then f- through to the 65th minute Silva Havili who's a middle forward is just sitting there on the bench fresh as a daisy with you know without having you know seen a blade of grass under his boots the, the whole match and I'm like the, the poor blokes are gassed out there and you've got a fresh middle on the bench like why is he not on the field and then he came on and played the last 15 minutes as they eventually conceded a few late tries and got done 24-16 it's I don't know it's, I'm not a first grade coach but it just seemed a really peculiar choice yeah, there's there is something really weird going on at the Raiders. Like it just feels what was a, a strong, solid, cohesive team is sort of just like bricks of just being pushed out of that wall. Like, you know that Hodgson's in a in a, uh, a bad space. I don't know. He's just in a, in a funny place at the moment with his relationship with Ricky Stewart. George Williams has publicly said he's homesick. Mm. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we wouldn't be aware of as uh, you know as as fans, but. Um, yeah, and then all those those odd bench selections. There's, there's something more to it, and, you know. It's going to be an interesting story when we find out what it is, but it's mm. obviously affecting him on the field. Yeah. The flip side is uh, Newcastle came away with a, a very good, a very morale boosting win, one that they really needed. Kalen Ponga, who had a pretty challenging first half, was sensational in the second, and um, obviously helped steer them home but I thought you know some of the forwards really responded I thought you know that the big names the rep stars David Clemmer Tyson Frizzell Daniel Sofidi are all really good um, in this one Lachlan Fitzgibbon back pushed Mitch Barnett into the middle rotation I thought Barnett and Connor Watson were both really good through the middle as well um, Phoenix Crossland rookie half coming in for Blake Green probably didn't get the the level of direction and organizing you'd get from a senior half but I thought he added some some energy obviously found his way over the line as well so um, yeah a few nice signs for the Knights. Yeah, I mean, they, they gave the coach 40 minutes of what he'd asked for, I guess, which is which is better than no minutes, right? And that was the 40 minutes. The 40 minutes that they did it was the 40 minutes that won the game. So so good for them. Um, yeah, I think the last couple of weeks they've been accused of lacking 
I don't know, lacking desire or, you know, lacking that Newcastle toughness or grit or whatever you want to, whatever label you want to put on it. And I think that the first half, yeah, it was, it was a bit hit and miss for, um, for all of them. But the second half, yeah, the forwards really ran the show. And then Kalen Ponga had an excellent second half, I thought, really. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. good, And it was, it was like a tragedy as well. Like, again, just watching that lead slip away from the Raiders, it was, um, it was yeah, it was tough to watch. But well done to the Knights. The Knights, they started the second half, didn't they, with a short kickoff and got the ball back? So almost yeah, straight like from, that. And then, from and that, the first and that second, it. yeah. Because, because they scored so quickly in the second half, you just know that would have, like the Raiders have just been, oh man, here it, happened, here it comes again, what are we going to do? And they tried so hard. Like, I think that also, like mentally, they could feel the loss potentially coming, but it meant their attack got all, like went all crazy for like 10 minutes after that as they tried to make up for that try that they lost. And it just, game plan out the window, scramble, scramble. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tough times I'm, in a, I'm in a group chat with one of my really good mates uh, who's a, a long suffering Canberra fan. And at half time, he said, um, I won't do it because I'm a Raiders fan, but Knights are paying $15 head to head. Everyone, get on it. <laughs> I'm like, don't be like that. Don't be like that. And this kickoff happened, and he's like, I'm telling you. And then at the end, he's like, I told you. I'm like, don't be like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. The second half just really hurt him at the moment. <laughs> Talk about the um, the second Friday game. Eels 31-18 winners over the Roosters. Plenty of controversial moments, but um, I don't want those moments of controversy to overshadow what was otherwise a really good game. So we'll get to it. But let's just talk about the contest first because, um, you know, some high-quality football was played. Eels now moved to a, an 8-1 and one record. I thought Roosters, you know, very under strength. I'll speak to Radley early to an HIA. A huge injury toll already that we already know about. But I thought... Uh, defended magnificently in the face of a lot of pressure for, for most of this before just letting it slip a little bit right at the end. I think it, it shows the quality of, of the Roosters in that they've got a, like their, their team was already under strength going in and then they had some big outs happening throughout that game. It still took almost a full strength Parramatta. I think who are they missing? Like Nathan Brown, maybe. I think that's about it. Well, Reed um, Money it went took, off pretty early as well, sort of. Oh, did he? Um, but it, it still took them what 70, 75 minutes to like to ice the game um, against against a really understrength Roosters. And I think uh, Parramatta are quality team. Obviously, they've shown us that. It, I think it just shows how how tough how tough the Roosters are. Having you know a superstar halfback in like sorry potential future superstar halfback injected into your team immediately and having immediate results obviously helps in that regard. But there's still um, They've, like dazzling attack and all that sort of stuff's great, but they've still got really, really gritty defense, which is, um, you know, it's tough to continue. It's tough to, to maintain when you just keep, when your troops keep getting taken away from you. So um, yeah, it was, it was a high quality game. I really liked um, the the crowd there as well. It looked spectacular on TV. It wasn't, I don't think it was a, a capacity crowd. Maybe it was a COVID reduced capacity crowd, but it looked and sounded excellent. It would have been a great game to be at. Absolutely. I mean, it's a couple of things you touched on there. I just wanted to mention uh, Sam Walker again because uh, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, just interviewed him for NRL.com and uh, he was sort of I was asking him about getting targeted by those opposition back rowers. Obviously, the Sharks ran plenty of traffic at him. Melbourne had some success running at him, but he's still been really successful otherwise. And he sort of spoke about that and, you know, he knows about it. He expects it. And he said, you know, I'd do the same thing if you're the opposition and you see the, you know, the skinny white kid hiding out wide, you know who to run out kind of thing. He kind of made a joke out of it. <laughs> um, and Isaiah Papali'i lined him up a couple of times, got into a half gap, got him one-on-one and Sam Walker brought him down with just a perfect grass cutting tackle round the ankles brought him down one-on-one I thought this kid you know for all his what's he up to 10 or 11 tries in, in six games for all his you know his ability with the ball it's you know this is a tough kid who's going to be something special 
Yeah, I mean, it's so typical that he ends up at the Roosters, right? Um, <laughs> it's, they're just, they're just, that's the type of team they are. They, they're either they, um, they're, they're attractive for new talent. So even if you're not part of the Roosters system, eventually you want to be. Um, and yeah, like you said, he, he shows like how many games has he played? Six or something like that. Six like now, he's, yeah. it's, it's, he's, I don't know, his level headedness and his, just his attitude of um, nothing really seems to phase him. Like you said, he just accepts, Parts of the game is like, oh, yeah, I'm a small kid. People are going to run at me, but that doesn't, he's not intimidated. And he's like, his passing game is just so good. <laughs> like some of those, yeah. like those floating passes out to the wing, it just, they're so good to watch. And they're so frustrating um, for, for fans that aren't the, aren't, for people that aren't Roosters fans to see happen before your eyes. But yeah, what a, what a great talent. Um, I hope he, I hope he has a, a long career. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's touch on the, you know, the incidents mm. uh, before we move on. There's been plenty of column inches already spent this weekend over it. I don't want to dwell on it, but um, you know, it's, you know, Graham Annesley's come out and said he's not happy with how the um, the bunker handled it. And it. You know, probably on balance, you'd have to say, given in Murata Niakore's case on James Tedesco, there was no injury resulting, but the challenge was probably bad enough to result in a sin bin. In Dylan Brown's case, I thought, the challenge was probably more innocuous and certainly not malicious, but it's resulted in a pretty nasty injury and, and that probably warranted a, a simbin as well. They've taken the early pleas, the pair of them, Murata Nyakore, two weeks, Dylan Brown, three weeks. Um, also publicly apologised to Drew Hutchison and privately, um, apparently, and, you know, it, I don't pretend I know Dylan Brown personally, but I've spoken to him plenty of times, um, you know, through interviewing in Frenor.com. He just seems like a really sort of, you know, just like a good kid. I can't imagine he ever goes out there to hurt someone. So yeah, as much as it wasn't designed to hurt, it was it was careless and it resulted in a pretty nasty injury to, to Drew Hutchison. So probably one that was missed by the um, the bunker and and probably should have been Simbin at the time. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's it's different to head contact. Like head contact is obvious and you know it's illegal, whereas you can you can tackle someone like you know in the ribs or like you know around their waist or I don't know where the precise point of contact was and then um, so it wasn't the it wasn't where the contact was it was the nature of the contact right so sliding in with the knees to defend a try um, it's I do wonder though yeah so that's an that's an, that's illegal to do regardless if it hadn't um, if it hadn't produced such a catastrophic uh, result in terms of injury and hospitalization. Would it still be on report at all, or is it? Are we reacting because the result was so extreme? Yeah, I think if if the contact is slightly less and Drew doesn't break a rib and he just bounces straight up and he doesn't get an injury, there's no way that Dylan Brown gets suspended for for three weeks. But I mean, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. The NRLs publicly or the match review committees publicly said they take injuries into account as well when they're when they're looking at the charges. So I think you know, an identical or near identical tackle that results in a bad injury compared to one that doesn't cause an injury is going to be graded differently. So yeah, I think that's Mm. probably widely accepted. Yeah. I think uh, Trent Robinson's main issue was that uh, it wasn't, he didn't get the, he didn't, it wasn't put on report until what sometime during the halftime break, but he wasn't told it was put on report until the half had had, was about to start. So he didn't have any time to make his change, which I also think is fair enough. I, I understand, um, uh, for, for that reason you just said. So unless you can, unless you immediately knew that the injury was caused by the contact, um, which I think was very easy to miss in the in the hubbub of what was going on, um, there's a reason why there was a delay for it to be on report. But um, I do think he's got a, a pretty fair complaint, and that there was like after that delay, there was a further delay um, for him to react to it. So uh, I think we'll all learn a lesson from that one. 
Yeah, exactly. And Graham Allison said the same thing. He had sympathy for Robinson's position. I guess the shame for a lot of us is that if it was sin-binned under the, like, under the way the rule is at the moment, that would constitute foul play that would allow Roosters to use the 18th man, which would have been Joseph Suwali. So he could have come into the you know, into the centres with Joey Manu switching to 5-8 or whatever it was, and we all could have got a look at the um, you know the whiz kid Joseph Suwali. But um, may have to wait a little bit longer for that one. I guess before we move on, there's going to be some team changes next week. We don't know what they are yet, but Drew Hutchison obviously won't play. I, I dare say Lachlan Lamb just comes back at, at 5'8". He was fit to play this weekend. He would have played reserve grade if it wasn't for the COVID bubble situation. So probably still waiting on Joseph Suwali's debut. The Eels have got a, a decision to make as well with Dylan Brown. Now, Will Smith also sidelined with a broken thumb. A lot of talk that... Um, Brad Arthur might debut his son, Jakey Arthur, who's going pretty well in uh, in oh. pup. Um, actually, going really well from from the games that I've seen. I, I kind of suspect oh. that the, um, the that'll season, be exciting. It would be something. Uh, I suspect Jordan Rankin might actually get the nod. He's also been playing well in cup, and he's obviously a yes. you know, a veteran. He's been at the club. Um, he came back midway or early last year, I think. So he's actually been in the system quite a long time. Or I guess their other option is to put Bryce Cartwright at five eighth, given the form that Cardi's shown that the past few weeks. He's um, seems to to be up on confidence at the moment. But will be interesting team lists on Tuesday. The uh, earlier Friday game. Yeah, I, I didn't actually know Sorry. that. Um, I didn't know that Jordan Rankin was a chance of breaking the first grade squad. I uh, I remember um, I followed his career a little bit, and I think it was at Huddersfield in the Super League for a, uh, a, a good couple of years. So, um, yeah, let's hope he can crack it. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, Panthers 48 to nil over the Sharks at Bluebet Stadium, the early Friday game. Uh, this was pretty much just one way traffic. Um, the whole way a few a little flurry of late tries to, to blow the score out a bit more but it was always going to be a, a big one from pretty much early on sharks just seasons unraveling we've talked about it previous weeks you know got rid of the coach the halfbacks on the the way out they've got a couple of injuries and um yeah just didn't really put up too much of a fight in this one yeah i, I don't think we need to dwell on it too much but yeah this, you know this is how do you throw your season away? Saki, popular coach, you know, lose your popular halfback, et cetera, et cetera. And this is probably, this is the result of it. It's um, the Sharks have a much better team uh, and were set up to have much better performances before all that stuff started. And, and uh, this is just how it's going. I think we can unfortunately put a line through them. I just don't, it's just going to be a, a throwaway. We'll call it a rebuild year. Um, and, you know, this is what you got. Like, you know, the Panthers are red hot. No one really would have given the Sharks much of a chance, but you know, they're better than a 48-0 scoreline. It's, it would have been pretty disappointing for Sharks fans. Probably um, not too early now to start talking about origin teams. And I was actually started crunching some numbers for this week. I've looked at the respective possible spines for, for both states. And the, the more I look at it, the more I think about it, the more I think Jerome Luai has to wear the sky blue number six. He's just, he's going that well. And um, actually crunching his numbers in defence, he's got the best effective tackle percentage of every half in contention for either state. So he makes better tackle percentage than Nathan Cleary, than Jack Whiten, than Daly Cherry Evans, um, all these guys. He just he almost never misses a tackle. He's you know he's 24 now. He's played a grand final. He's not he's 90 kilos, so it's not like he's an actual lightweight who's going to get steamrolled. And uh, he's what's that? Don't have the numbers in front of him. He's got so I think he's top top of the year for try assists again this year after topping last year. He's um, he, for all the attention on Nathan Cleary, Jerome Luai is just absolutely on fire. That's that's amazing. I've not once considered Jerome Luai from a defensive point of view. I've never, I definitely never considered him a poor at defense. But I've, you know, you think about attack, attack, attack because that's what he's so good at, like that razzle dazzle stuff. 
Um, but you know, those numbers, you know, get him in. Like that's the, what a, that's, that's amazing. Like um, that'll be a pretty, a pretty handy house pairing. That's for sure. I think Nathan Cleary, he's really annoying in that he's just so like, he is so good. Right. Like I, I think after watching what he was doing in that game and yeah, the Sharks, you know, they played poorly. Is, is he like, is he now the world's greatest player? Like, yeah. I've, I've thought about this a bit and to me, his finish to last year, he um, he got outplayed pretty badly in the grand final. And then he got outplayed in origin, Cameron Munster and Daly Cherry Evans. Uh, to me, I mean, month he's just he keeps getting better every week. So yeah, the, the mm. case is getting stronger and stronger. Up until very recently, I would have said if you're picking a Kangaroos team to win a World Cup final next week, Munster and DCE are halves. And I'm I'm not sure I've quite changed my mind on that. Give it like they're the incumbent pairing. They they're the origin winning Queensland pairing. Um, you know they're they're both experienced. They're both you know just tremendous players at the top of their game. They're, they're both having great seasons as well. Uh, admittedly, DCE in a, a team that's been much more inconsistent than than Cleary's Panthers. Um, I mean, Cleary's certainly been the dominant NRL player of the first nine rounds of the competition. I don't think mm-hmm. um, anyone would argue that. You know, there's any player that's had a, a bigger impact on the first nine rounds than, than Nathan Cleary. But for me to call him the best player in the world, I just I need him to guide New South Wales to a series win or, or win a grand final for Penrith or, or something. I, he's the most dominant player week to week at the moment. But to say you're the best player in the world, I think you've got to do it on the big stage a few times as well. Yeah, fair enough. That was a, a very uh, well, uh, very measured and well-researched uh, um, answer. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here for the compliments. The first game of the week, the Rabbitohs and the Storm. This ended up very one-sided, 50-0 shellacking. Six tries for Josh Adokar. I was doing the match report for this one. And I rewrote my lead about four times because it was like, you know, fantastic mix of Mr. Fox, hat-trick, fires, Storm to big win. And then it's like, oh, no, he's got a four-bagger. That's you know, <laughs> equal most in club history. Then he gets his fifth. I'm like, wow, that's seriously rare, rare territory. And when's the last time? You know, someone scored five tries and then, you know, it's about 10, 15 minutes to go. I'm like, it's not going to happen, is it? He can't get another one. And then sure enough, he gets the sixth one. Suddenly everyone's scrambling for the record books. When's the last player to get six? Turns out it was a fellow named Jack Troy for Newtown in 1950, 71 mm. years ago. No Storm players ever got more than four, which was a record uh, equaled recently by Ryan Pappenhausen, who got four tries in the space of about 10 minutes. But yeah, no one's got six in a very long time and certainly never for Melbourne. So what was the uh, what was the headline of the match report that you chose? Six again? <laughs> um, I can't remember now. It's definitely oh, sure. Adokar related. <laughs> I think yeah. we're only fantastic Mr. Fox from memory. I'd have to double check. Right, yeah. Subs do the well, headlines, not the journos, but yeah. <laughs> um, this was, this was a, like, I didn't see, like, I did not see this, like, such a huge, like, shellacking coming, right? Like, I think... Wayne Bennett sort of high, like pointed it out in the press room that he said, yeah, I knew this result was coming. We haven't really been up to scratch, blah, blah, blah. And when you think about it, he's like, he's right. Wayne Bennett's always right, but he's correct because I think Souths have been having such playing in such thrilling, entertaining wins that you forget that they were close wins because they weren't very good for a large portion of the game. So, you know, there's the golden point uh, win against the Tigers. There was that, you know, comeback against the Cowboys. I think it wasn't then again against the Titans as well. The Rabbitohs really should have won that get won those games, you know, well before the result actually, you know, became conclusive. And, and 
Um, it's those amazing second halves that they've been having that have really sort of maybe papered over some cracks. And I think without you know missing the key personnel they had, so what Adam Reynolds is out, what Sean Mitchell, Cam Murray, and probably a couple of others, yeah, just highlights that they're not as they're just in a they're just you know a little bit below the top teams of the league at the moment. Um, and you know coming up against a red hot Melbourne, um, it just goes to show there was a bit of a difference between the two, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that sort of echoes what Wayne Bennett said. He said, you know, even though we've been winning, I, I feel like this has been coming for a while. We haven't been going as well as what some of our players might think we're going. And, I mean, to your point, that 40-30 to 30 win over the Titans, that's conceding a lot of points that they probably shouldn't have. The, the golden point win over the, the Tigers, who've been struggling. They, they needed that big second half to, to win against Canberra as well. So, um, you know, even with a lot of players out, he, he quite rightly said, you know, the team that was out there should have done a lot better than losing. 50 points to nil. Um, I guess we do have to acknowledge they did have a lot of players out. Adam Reynolds, Latrell Mitchell, almost their entire three-quarter line. You know, uh, Campbell Graham, Josh Mansour, Jackson Paulo. Like, that's a lot of players to take out of a very concentrated sort of position on the field and, and still have players uh, come in. But, yeah, their edge just got absolutely pulled apart by that uh, left-side storm attack with, um, you know, Justin Ollam and Josh Adokar having a field day. Yeah, and um, speaking of Josh Adokar and Melbourne having a field day, how about Jerome Hughes? He's really like he had a great game, but he well, he had I think he had one of those games where you sort of you couldn't you you couldn't ignore him, and then once you become aware like that aware of him, you sort of realize wow, he's actually become an excellent halfback. He's um, yeah, he, he's sort of that you know the way Melbourne have done their thing and they've taken him and they've sort of shaped him and they've you know put him through the Cooper Cronk machine, I'm sure. And well, look what's come out the other side. He's he's having. Yeah, that was he's having an excellent season. I think he's he's only going to get better, which means good things for New Zealand as well, which is uh, yeah also good. His form this year has been nothing short of stunning, to be honest. Even even winning the grand final last year, I'm like you can only get away with having a um you know a modified fullback slash run first halfback at number seven because you've got a Cameron Smith at nine and a Cameron Munster at six. To, you know these senior guys to to run the team, but you know he takes Smith out and this you know he's just proverbial next level is a bit of a cliche but uh, he's really just at the top of his game his kicking games come on in, in leaps and bounds he hasn't lost anything from his dangerous running game um, that, that he had when he was a fullback but um, yeah he, the, the control he's got over the team and his own performances at the moment it, I mean, it's a massive credit to not just him but this you know famous storm system that that takes bits and pieces of players and turns them into you know grand final winners and, and rep stars it's, it's been quite incredible to see yeah I think it's it, it just you know talks to how good the system is there. And um, I do kind of, I do worry about what happens to that system when Craig Bellamy eventually leaves. I think he, well, he signed on for another year, hasn't he? So he's got 2022. Definitely. He's going to be there. But once he's out of that, that system, like, I mean, I'm sure that they must have definitely got continuity set up for when that day eventually comes. But the last thing you'd want to see is, is that, you know, that winning culture mm. change. Yeah, I mean, they, they kept doing it without Billy Slater. They kept doing it without Cooper Cronk. It looks like they're going to keep doing it without Cameron Smith. I mean, is, is Craig Bellamy the final sort of domino <laughs> to fall that you take out and suddenly they come back to being mere mortals? Or is there something more, you know, behind the scenes in terms of, you know, the, the structure and the, you know, the, just the culture and the, the organisation that they're just going to keep producing these sort of players forever? It's an interesting watch. But, um, yeah, as long as Craig Bellamy's there, I don't see the drop-off happening. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we go, I wanted to ask you: uh, Have you are you going to Magic Round? Are you going up there to cover any games? Sadly, not this year. No. Oh, that's a shame. Well, that means that you could actually uh, you could attend as a fan, and that's good news for you because tickets <laughs> are still available. But if you if you wanted incentive to go, 
I don't know if you've been playing the uh, NRL Pick'em game this year, but it's a it's a free to play game that's been going going on since round one. I haven't but been playing NRL, it, but I know all about it because every time the ad comes on TV, my ears prick up. I'm like, that's Zach Bailey. What's Zach Bailey doing here? Why am I listening to Zach <laughs> yeah. Bailey? Just constantly got Zach Bailey in my ears. Um, but the, so the NRL is extending the the Pick'em the Pick'em game to have a special Magic Round Pick'em. So uh, if you're a ticket holder for Magic Round, all you have to do is enter in your barcode and you're in the draw to win. Uh, I think it's up to a uh, winner share of $250,000. And that's um, in addition to the, all the other NRL Pick'em stuff that's going on. So if you have your tickets, go to nrlpick'em.com.au and enter in your barcode. If you haven't got tickets and you think you have another reason as to why you should, there's another one. The Pick'em jackpot for ticket holders has just gone up to 250 grand. So uh, good times all around. Well, I suspect that wasn't so much for me because my employment status probably makes me ineligible to win any cash prizes. But for anyone listening who wants to get involved, uh, absolutely do so. Kenny, thank you so much for being here to break down round nine. Now, thanks again to the West Tigers and Alex Twile for being here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back this time next week.